history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matthew, and we're here again with another interview regarding the 2022 municipal election. Uh, Voting day is on October the 24th. Remember to get out and vote. The only way to affect change is to be part of it. And with me today, he's running for city council in Ward 8, Eglinton Lawrence, in the city of Toronto. And his name is Philip Davidovitz. I hope I got that correct. Perfect. How are you? Okay, thank you so much. How are you? I am I am doing really, really good. Uh, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to be able to, uh, you know, I love municipal politics. I really, really do. And, and the, the big reason is because it's all about investing in that one person. You're not investing in a party. There's no rules. There's none of that crap. It's you're investing in the person. And, and that's what I love about that. And, and like, I remember when Mel Lastman decided he wanted to be in to get involved in politics. He was running his, I think, seven bad boy stories at the time. And out of nowhere, he just got the bug for public service. It was total, totally logical. And, and it was like his, you know, his, his new venture. And, you know, he, he created his whole next part of his life around it. So for me, too, I've been in business all my life. I've been in this community all my life. Um, I, you know, I walk the streets, I know the streets, I've seen how the streets have changed and good and better. Um, and I hope to make my difference over the next, you know, couple of years. That's amazing. And now this is the opportunity for you to answer, uh, just my, my introducing, uh, like my intro three questions. And that's why are you running? Why this election? And why now? So, so I, I think after this lockdown period, we're going through a period of change, you know, and, and, you know, like in 1945, after the war, no one talks about those five years of change till 1950, when the world really reinvented itself. And, and I think the next four years will also, you know, for the better or worse, you know, the world's going to be going through a change. I like to be part of that change, but the straw that broke my the camel's back for me. Uh, about three weeks ago, I'm walking on Young Street just south of Bloor. I see this obviously homeless person in front of a store without really any clothes on, and he had excrement on him, and it was you know, and I not a not a policeman to be seen. Um, I called nine one one, and they almost felt like, why am I bothering them? And I guess because they have a lot of homeless people, this is a, a normal, became the new normal for them. And I said, no, I'm going to wait here and I'm going to do what I have to do for this person to get taken care of. And I waited and, and I called 911 three times. And it was like, like, this is not what they're there for almost. Like, why am I bothering them? Um, and I said, you know, if you don't, if you don't come now, I'm going to block the streets. I'm going to do what I can. 
I'm going to make a whole spectacle of this. And then you can explain, you know, to the city why you're not taking care of it. And then within two minutes, uh, an ambulance came. But, but what happened was, is from there, I walked to Bloor Street and there was like five people demonstrating in front of, um, in, in front of the mayor's condo uh, on, on Bloor Street. And they closed the street on both sides. And there was 37 policemen there. So I have to believe that they're taking our, our resources and they're taking it away from helping people that need to be helped and, 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 and you know, focusing on their political, whatever that is. So I think I can fix that. I think that's a councillor's job in City Hall to say, you know, we're paying for policemen, we're paying for firemen, we're paying for Toronto Public Health. These people, we're paying for them to help us have a quality of life. And there's always going to be people in trouble at different times. Whoever that person is in trouble, these people need to be there for them. And I, and I think that um, a lot of people in the government, in the municipal government, have forgotten that. So I hope to change. That's an amazing story. Um, I really hope that that gentleman got the help he needed. And uh, I, that's big of you to, to make that big a deal. That's, that's the type of people that we need at City Hall. We need new blood we need fresh ideas because the status quo it's just not working agreed uh, so i'm just wondering i know you um you entered rather late i'm just wondering if you had a chance to flesh out any sort of um, a platform and then my second question would be if you've started your door knocking or or your engagement with the community what kinds of things are you hearing uh, about what the concerns are uh, within your ward. So understanding that even though this is new for me when this election, I was a chapter chair of the American Chamber of Commerce. So, you know, 12 years ago when no one knew what reshoring was, building manufacturing local, I was running around to the counties and, and all the different states and I was going to door knocking in the Senate trying to convinced them to be made in America when they thought I was crazy. What do we need to produce locally? So in a way, it's not my first rodeo. And, and Eglinton and Lawrence, I mean, you know, I, I, I know which stores have been around for, for 50, 60 years. I know who survives. I know who doesn't survive. I know who grew. I, I know who doesn't grow. I, I know I can walk on the street and I can almost tell you who needs help, who doesn't need help and, you know, what, what we could help them. But, you know, it's, it's community. And, and I think the last couple of years, we've become very divisive in our community. And I, and I think I want to get that back. I, you know, I had an Italian neighbor growing up and our deal was if it snows on Saturday, they shovel my snow because we don't work on Saturday. If it snows on Sunday, you know, we'll shovel their snow, but we never shovel their snow on Sunday. I don't know why it never, I think it must have snowed on Sunday, but they just took care of it. But we were really neighbors. You know, and, and, and then, you know, during during this lockdown, they, they were saying, call 311, report your neighbors. You know, so, you know, we want to get back to community. We want to take care of the community. I mean, with inflation today, we need to find a way to, you know, you're not going to change the price of housing because it's a world issue. It's not a Toronto issue. But we can find a way that, you know, based on what other places are doing in the world, to maybe look at saying, well, this works in Hong Kong, or this works in Sweden, or this works, you know, in a different country, maybe we'll try it here and see if we can have it work to help people keep their houses, have people have affordable food, have people, you know, be able to live their life in the same quality that they did five years ago. 
And, and I think that I have enough experience to help with that. Absolutely. And uh, sorry, did you say you, you started your um, door knocking engagement with the community? Yeah, yeah. I, I started um, I started my door knocking the first, like right away when I decided I'm going to nominate, obviously I told people and people looked at me and you knew right away if they're supportive or not supportive of me. And, and you know, mostly I think people are saying, Phil, this is a perfect thing for you to do because you're always talking to the community. Anyhow, you're al always organizing events. You're always trying to get us together, you know, so, you know, do it for our community. So I... So, you know, based on what people are telling me, this is the, the perfect next step in my life. Absolutely. And um, with that, I want to talk about the uh, budget. There are some budget concerns going on, uh, as I'm sure you're probably aware of a longtime resident. Um, you know, we're just coming out of the pandemic and, and I've heard the term thrown around. I've heard it from counselors. I've heard it from candidates. You know, the city's bleeding money. And the next four years, there are going to be decisions that have to be made. We need them made by the right people. We can't afford mistakes this time. Maybe four years ago, we could afford a mistake, but not this time. Um, these are crucial decisions. We have a $1.6 billion backlog in TCHC repairs. Uh, you know, the TTC is going to be half a billion dollars uh, short on their funding, according to their numbers. But... Meanwhile, the TTC CEO gets a 21% increase from last year, or he got it last year. I apologize. Um, you know, and I'm sure we can go through every file and, and find there's, there's budget concerns everywhere. You got construction going over time and over budget, and that's costing the city money. We have uh, um, shelters uh, for the on-house, uh, uh, the on-house that are, that are, um, all throughout the city that are run by private organizations that are jacking up the price because the city's paying the tab and, and apparently that's okay. And so all these budgetary things are happening and I'm just wondering um, what, what you think uh, if we could isolate one issue and, and maybe fix it. And also, you know, you know, what's your opinion on what the next, council uh, should focus on and what do you see happening um and now i'll be quiet and let you talk okay. so, so if you're on, if you're if you're on a flight in an airplane and there's an emergency and the oxygen comes down they tell you first put the mask on yourself and then put the mask on your children so i'm 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 running to be in an area of 120,000 people it's a huge area my first priority is those people who I am supposed to be representing. So those people, like, like my parents moved into this, the area in 1959 mm -hmm. when you could buy a house for $20,000 when you had probably 7% of the density you have today and, and taxes were probably 140th of what they are today. And, and yet there seemed to be enough money. The question really is you need to look at the amount of money that the 120,000 people are putting into the municipal system right now, not the whole GTA, right? Because you can't deal with, but you can say there's $120,000 coming in from these, uh, there's 120,000 people putting in dollars. Where's that money going? My guess would be that there's some of that money 
is going in places maybe where we should relook at. And when you relook at it, then we can say the people who are living here, we can help those people, whether you're a, a senior who needs more help, right? Because you're get, as the baby boomers are getting older, the seniors for sure need more help. So let's take some of that money and help the people living there. And, and you know, now that the province is freeing up money for, for medical, for sure we need three or four urgent care centers for the money that's already been allocated because if you go to a hospital today, you can't see a doctor. I think that's a very serious emergency type of thing, but the province says the money is there, they don't have the staffing there. I believe that as a community, we can say we have doctors, we have nurses. If we reach out to those doctors and our nurses who live in our community and say, please help us keep our community healthy and we're gonna pay you extra for it, our community will not have the same challenge to get staffing for those doctors that we need for the urgent care that if somebody has trouble two o'clock in the morning, we can send them to our own local urgent care clinic. Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. And, um, I, you know, I'm just wondering in terms of, um, in terms of the budget, you know, obviously we've established that the, the status quo is not working. Um, and I'm just wondering what what uh, I mean? Would you support for, for starters? Would you support a um, a citywide audit? Well, uh, and like I'm saying, my focus is on the 120,000 people in my area. Mm -hmm. That I don't understand how in 1958, 9, we had 7% maybe of the density we have today, and now with all the people bringing in more money. What happened to that money? Like if you have if you have more money sharing in a smaller area, denser area, mm -hmm. then there should be so much money that money should not be the issue. I agree. So the question is, where is that money? So on my side, I think as a new junior city councilor, I, I would like to see my area where that money is and try to then go to council and say, you're taking my money and you're spending it on this, this and this. I want my money spent on the people who voted me in, in my area. And if every councillor does that, then right away you will see a shift in how the money gets allocated to it. It's like um, they have a story of a town meeting where they said, what we're going to do is everyone's, we're going to have the best wine. Everyone should pour a cup of wine into a barrel. And then tonight we're going to have a meeting. We're going to, we're going to have a nice, the best of all wines. And one guy says, I'll be smart. Nobody will notice. And he poured tea into the barrel. So that night they came and everyone had tea because everyone thought that way. Because everyone says, I'll, I'll be smarter. I won't, I won't invest in wine. But if, you're, but if you're investing in your area and you're knowing that the money that you're putting in into the municipal part is coming back to you, um, I, I think that, you know, if I can fix it in my area, other councillors will, will follow suit and, and, and be able to fix it into their area. But, but to try to fix everything, I don't think I, I'll have the, you know, the networking ability to be able to do that in, you know, in the next two, three years. I understand what you're saying. Uh, moving along, uh, I want to talk about transit. And uh, it's actually great timing that we're having this interview because um, I, you know, the Eglinton Crosstown has come right through your ward. And uh, 
I'm just wondering, you know, they're doing it now on Finch. Um, Finch is all tore up, especially in the West End and other parts of the city as well. Uh, traffic's a mess right now because they're building it. I'm just wondering uh, what lessons maybe you guys learned from, from the building of the Eglinton Crosstown that maybe can be applied to Finch. And then um, I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, we, we've seen the TTC expand into York, and I'm just wondering if uh, you would support uh, the TTC expanding west into Peel region and east into Durham region. And overall, what do you see in the next four years uh, regarding transit? Okay, so regarding transit, it's a few different pieces to my answer. Mm -hmm. um, so with with transit, um, can you just go back to your first question? Because I can answer one oh, question. Oh, yeah, so I was wondering uh, what lessons that uh, can okay. can be applied to so, 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 so I would say Metrolinks doesn't work, uh, you know, and, and I don't know how Metrolinks got so much power to be able to control all the contracts. They're really a subcontractor. They're a contractor giving it out to subcontractor. They're not actually doing the work. And I think if you look at the tenders and you look at who's bidding and, and if you also look at who doesn't want to bid anymore on new contracts for Metrolinks and ask those people why they don't want to bid anymore, I think you're going to have an eye opener there. And, and, and having seen, been in, in China in the 80s, and having seen from the ground up greenfields going into transit right across Shenzhen, you know we're not doing transit right. I would bring you know, the top guys from, from China who actually did it right and ask them, what do you suggest, not just Finch, but how do you suggest the whole GTA expanding? But the, the bigger thing is the bigger opportunity is going to be the go lines. The go lines are our answer with the trains, right? To, to get out to areas where quickly, where people can live 20, 25 minutes, you know, from downtown, mm -hmm. let's say up to 40 minutes from downtown and live and have some grass around them. So we don't have to build, you know, what, what my colleague wants to build at Eglinton and Spadina, build a low income, low high density housing complex and, and block the streets for at least another five years. We can build using the GO Transit, take an area up in Milton or take an area where it's completely empty and, and build new developments there, either for people who want the housing or, or for people who just want to be able to maybe grow their own fruits and vegetables in the back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. And in terms of um, supporting expansion, how, how do you feel about that? But so expand so expansion where? So we've seen it go north into York Region, and I'm just wondering if the subject comes up in council, would you support expansion west into Peel Region and east into Durham so, Region? So the, the problem's always been, and and I, I don't think you were born then, but I remember when at, at Lawrence and Bathurst you had to pay a second fare. So, so after Lawrence, the bus would stop again. There'd be one bus, bus stop south of um, Lawrence, another bus stop north of Lawrence. And the same thing when you go Mississauga by, by, the, um, by the International Center, Mississauga on Airport Road, the bus will stop. And if you go further, you got to pay a second fare. So really, once you hit a certain point, it becomes a different jurisdiction and, and they should be the ones carrying the money. You know, our, our challenge is right now, you have people from Oakville, Burlington, Hamilton, 
where the where, who's not who's not paying Toronto any taxes, who's getting the the benefit of the QEW and the different roadways, um, and um, to come into our city. So so that's you know part of the challenge where the people who live in the city could have a harder time using the roadways because of all the cross traffic from out of town. Absolutely. Um, okay. Um, and what do you see for the next, uh, for the next term of council, uh, regarding transit? Well, my, my, the truth is my, my first fight in transit and, and you're going to, you're going to see me come out fighting. Like nobody's going to see this happening because I've been involved on a personal level with it for the last two and a half years. And, and most people don't even realize what's going on. If you're, if you're a person living in a temporary shelter, pretty much you're forced out in the morning and you go to a food bank to get food mm-hmm. and you take mass transit to get to that food bank. Well, the bylaw officers have been trained to ticket those people. And now they made that ticketing as a criminal offense. So you have thousands and thousands of tickets over the last four or five years built up um, by the bylaw officers. And they go, the trouble is even if the bylaw officer agrees with you, they can't reverse the ticket because the ticket immediately becomes a provincial offense. So, you know, maybe in your investigations, check how many tickets of people have come to complain about it. Forget about the mentally ill and the homeless that they have no way to know how to complain about it. Well, let's say they, they had, because I advocate for some people. Let's say they decide to advocate at Dufferin and Finch or they advocate, you know, to the, to the TTC chair and, and the people involved in this and say, this person doesn't deserve a ticket. They actually had permission. They told them that they're going on and they ticketed them. And because they ticketed them, you know, the, their mental illness gets more shaken up. So it doesn't do any good. And, and, and it, it put, puts them farther down the hole. And, and they said, we can't reverse the ticket. It has to go to court. So now three years later, you know, it hasn't been in courts yet. Mm-hmm. So you have all these people carrying these fines and tickets you know, you're giving the tickets, but you're not allowing it to go in court. I, th- I say most tickets before the court sy- system actually catches up. You shouldn't have people on bathers giving speeding tickets so they can make more money. They should have, they, until the court, we find a way to catch up on the ticket system, you know, they, they should maybe back off, on, back off on giving tickets. I hear what you're saying. Um, moving along, um, I want to talk about uh, the unhoused and affordable housing. I think they go hand in hand. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, what more can we do for the unhoused people? In, okay. In, in... So, so, so and, and, and a lot of people who are listening to this will, will probably not like what I'm saying. And this is my view and my view that I, I follow different places all over the world and what actually works. So we know that if you take a lot of um, lower income people, and put them in, 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 a, in a place together, it doesn't work. And we know Chicago had a study with Pritzker that if you take, they actually broke up uh, places that were in very heavily congested and they put 10% of a building all over Chicago and these people had a way to get back into society. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't believe um, my colleague, he wants to build this huge infrastructure on top of Eglinton and Spadina. That's also one of the main reasons why I picked to run in Eglinton Lawrence. Um, I'm against it. I feel what we need to do to the people in a temporary shelter system that it's costing us anyhow, seven, $800 a month, you know, just to, to manage this temporary shelter that we're paying them, you know, to do it. 
let's let you know and and a bachelor apartment today is $1500 a month that's really what it costs so even if you're making $15 an hour the most you can afford is $1700 on your rent we should be giving a $700 coupon from the money that we're dishing out to the temporary shelter system so these places can go any place and they, and they see a place for rent and be able to rent that place not to say you have to go to an affordable shelter place or affordable housing places you know they should be able to like i can rent a place anywhere they can go themselves and you know and we're going to need to help them they still need the services because you know there is mental health issues they you know you can rent an apartment but you have furniture in the apartment so we need to help them moving in furniture getting them clothing getting them back into society but you're not going to get people back to society unless they have their own kitchen bathroom bed because if they have their, and I was, I, I've been homeless. Like I had a period of time where I slept in my car. It's not a problem sleeping outside. The problem is waking up. You wake up in the morning, you got to take a shower. You got to have food. You got to get dressed. You have to have confidence in yourself, right? Shelter system doesn't lean towards confidence. Shelter people, you have people who have been in the system a long time, teaching other people how to get around the system. I, I want to integrate people. I want to get people working. I want to get people work. You know, and, and, and like another thing I, I don't understand, they're smarter people than me. You know, they say, if you're on unemployment, you're not allowed to go to school and you're not allowed to work. No, no, no. If you're on unemployment, we're helping you for a short time to get back to work. We need to make sure you make enough of a living. We're happy that you're trying and we'll give you the difference, subsidize until you can make enough. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I agree with that. Um. And I'm just wondering, like, I mean, we've seen the encampments get torn down. Okay. So, so I have a letter for you from, that I sent to John Torrey, which was also, when this happened, I was so upset. I was so upset. And, and I, you, know, you know, John Torrey, I think, is a basically a good person. But I don't think he's ever been out there without $5 in his pocket to understand and to have a few belongings that were everything to him. To really, and unless you're in that situation, which... I don't want to say thank God I was. I mean, I, but I've, I've been there. So, you know, I, I know when people what it is and, 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 and people who are homeless, their few possessions are everything important. They could be pictures of their family, you know, stuff that's irreplaceable. So when he went into that encampment and not everyone can live inside, people have mental illness. Some people actually, you know, we need to find them outdoor housing where they can stay. And those shelters during, during the lockdown were not safe for everyone. So it was actually a, a smart choice on people. And, and we should have, instead of bringing policemen with fences and everything, we should have found a place for, the, for them to live, right? You know, and, and, and let's say they want to live. The, the CNE, you know, the, there are places with Greenland, you know, Bruce Trail, there's lots of places that we have that we say, you know, we'll give you your tent there. I mean, people are sleeping overnight hiding in Ward Island all the time, like, the security already knows they're there and they, they're quiet about it. They say they miss their ferry. And as long as they're not making trouble, they leave them alone. Right. So, so like tolerance, it's our family, it's our community. It's our, it could be our second cousin. I mean, I asked a fellow one time, there's a person begging outside and he, and he gave him like 10 bucks. I said, why'd you give him $10? So Phil, he's my cousin. So, you know, we could be related to people not even know we're related to these people. And, 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 you know, and when, he, when he fenced out, took the people out, threw out all their personal belongings, that tells me that part of him doesn't get it. So when I sent my letter to 
to John Tory. I, I sent him the picture of the homeless person. I, I, and I, and I said that I understand a lot of what he's done, but this part to me is not something that, you know, in, we have Sodom and Gomorrah in the old Testament where, where they did the evilest things. That was from the evilest things that we could possibly do. So I, I really hope to fix that part of it. Absolutely. I like that answer. And I, like you, was outraged when that happened. Yes. And I'm, I'm still like, you know, it's understanding, you know, consensus. You know, I, I've had meetings with, with city councillors and John Tory and lawyers and city community. And, and, and when we sat down, we found a consensus. We found a middle way. When, when the lockdown started, I met with, you know, bylaw officers. I met with Toronto Public Health and community people. And we, and we found consensus most of the time. Right. There was a political issue that they couldn't tell us that they were told to do stuff. But generally, like most of the people working are good people. They just want to get their salary. They want to do the best they can. They want to feel good about it. Right. So mm-hmm. you're sitting down with people who's showing mutual respect. You can usually find a middle way that everyone is satisfied. Absolutely. Uh, moving along, I want to talk about uh, crime and the police. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious uh, your opinion on. Uh, Toronto's crime rate, what we can do to make it better, um, and also what's your opinion on the relationship between the City of Toronto and the Toronto Police Service? So I've had many conversations with some pretty senior people at the police services um, during the lockdown, and understanding that this, at a certain level, a policeman is a political figure. He's not really acting as a policeman he's he's, he's at the political level I, I think lieutenant i'm not quite sure there's one level that this 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 level already he's in the political game and, and he's so and he's not doing to serve and protect he's doing based on what the politics of the time is. so i want to get back to the police for to serve and protect i don't want the police to be trying to collect extra taxes from us i don't want the police being around to enforce with their guns situations that are protecting the political aspect. But as far as crime and punishment, I think it's most comes because people don't have what to do. If people are busy and people have jobs and, you know, whether the job is government subsidized or whether the job is just a job, um, I, I think people don't have time to go out and steal and they don't need to steal because they have money in their pocket. People will go to Loblaws by me. I watch it all the time you know, because we have a lot of homeless shelters around here and they're always bombing stuff, but they, they're hungry. And, you know, if they're not going to be hungry, you know, a lot of it will take time for them to heal on that, but there won't, won't be such a need, right? You know, the idea that people are walking in our streets hungry when we're throwing out so much food is, is, is bizarre. We're doing something wrong. And, and when the police are doing because they're told to do it politically, you know, thank God the police, when they were told to stop people on the street, you know, to, and if they're not doing anything, go home. They said, no, we're not doing that. Because if the police would have stopped me on the street, I was going to go take my bags and go to Mexico and get out of the country. You know, but, but hopefully when the mayor gets his new powers, he's not going to try to use that power to say, if you're not doing what we think is important, you got to stay at home. You have more faith than I do. <laughs> I say, I hope so. I didn't say, I hope so. Um, I want to talk uh, about public health real quick 
I'm just wondering about your opinion on uh, how the city handled the pandemic at the municipal level, how uh, uh, what we've what we've learned, and in your opinion, would we be ready for the next pandemic? Okay, so a couple of questions. First of all, I work a lot with Toronto Public Health. You can call them Toronto Political Health. <laughs> they had nothing to do with keeping us safe. Right. You know, you would have they'd be walking into people's houses, telling them you can't have kids learning privately um, together, whereas across the street, they were filming a movie theater. Like, what am I missing there? Right. So, you know, so understanding the city hired them. So they had to do what the city told them, because I had a lot of private conversations with them. I said, I want my job. You know, and it's a question how far they would go, but it had nothing to do with with like I knew in March 2020 when I couldn't do prayers outside, but I could walk to St. Clair um, near me and, and there would be, you know, 50 people on a construction site outside, right? All of a sudden that was safe and praying 10 people with social distancing outside was not safe. But these are all decisions that public health and the bylaw officers, like I dealt a lot with the bylaw officers, they were told they had to enforce but uh, Toronto Public Health also they work for us. So if we if I am the city and I'm Toronto Public and I'm the Toronto and we're part of the hiring process of Toronto Public Health, they should um, they should be advising the schools. They should be advising, but they shouldn't be, you know. Okay, you know, like like straight back and forth. I, I, this is what I had my my discussion with Toronto Public Health. Um, they want to they close the school because there was two two kids from a school of eight hundred that tested positive. So, you know, that's, I don't know. And, and when the community average is four or 5%, of course, there's going to be more than two kids. Two kids was such a low number because we were keeping them safe, seven, 800 people, right? Kids to have only two kids testing positive, that, that's nothing. And, and, and yet they, they said they're allowed to call it um, over two kids are allowed to close a school. So, you know, you know, like the same way we know smoking causes cancer is wrong. I know when they close a school for two kids up 700, um, it's wrong. And um, by uh, and, I, and I told the lady at, at Toronto Public Health, because she was told to do this, so she really had no say anyway. I said, you know what, Let's you, all these kids, they're going to go home. Their mothers are going to take them shopping at Costco. Let's do a testing in Costco right now and see what the positivity rate is from all these people who have nothing to do that are forced to, the only thing they can do to break the, the, is, is to go to Costco or Walmart. Let's, let's test them there. People were actually going to buying coffee at Walmart and walking the, the hallways and have, drinking their coffee in the hallways. That was safe, right? But a small little restaurant across the street that had to be closed, that wasn't safe. You know, so like, you know, I don't know how much was just that they were caught in the moment or following other people, but I know that hindsight being 2020, we never want to let this happen again, right? If I'm in city council, you know, part of what I'm doing is I want to make sure my people under me that I'm serving are safe, but I want to make them really safe, real, real security, real safe. And, and every, what everyone does is essential. It's not that you're essential and you're not essential, mm -hmm. right? I, I think that's also a big part of it. Who decides what's essential? So... In your opinion, though, are you do you think that we'd be ready for another pandemic? Um, I'm hoping if 
I get elected, I'll be involved. And, and I'm, I'm in a group of um, 2,100 people around the world discussing how to deal with the possibilities of, you know, either a very heavy flu, vac flu virus they're expecting in September, October, like Australia had. January, for some reason, they still are trying to sell the idea that monkeypox is going to come to invade us. Um, you know, if anything comes, you know, never to have a lockdown again. But, you know, you know, and never to follow the idea that, you know, I don't know the science anywhere in the world that forced vaccines or forced lockdowns work. We need to spend more time today protecting the most vulnerable, which is subsidizing, you know, the seniors, if they're going to stay with their family, whatever money would be allocated for them to be in seniors home, since we don't have the seniors homes, let's subsidize them with money, let them be in people's homes. So if people's mortgages are going up now, eight, 900 a month, they can actually get that money for eight, $900 a month from having their parent in the home or another family member who needs the services. So everyone, it's to everyone's benefit. Absolutely. And uh, do you have uh, a website or uh, how can the voters get a hold of you? Um, so they, they can Google me. Um, my, I'm easy to find if you just Google my name. Um, and I'm building my website and I'm sending out emails. And I'm trying to build consensus. Like, like I say, my focus is my 120,000 people, I want them to vote for me. And I want to get them out to vote. And I want them to understand what I'm saying is different and what my history is that I've always, I pretty much always executed what I said I was going to do. And, you know, but what I'm more interested in, if anybody wants me to come and speak at their place and meet with them. So if there's any churches or, or associations or rotaries that, you know, because maybe, you know, they have ideas too that I, I could be doing better and I'm here to serve their interests and to do the, the research, you know, you know, to see what, what the smarter way is to do. Absolutely. And if it's okay with you, I will include your email address in the show notes so that yes, uh, voters can get a hold of you. That would be appreciated. Thank you. You know, I want to thank you so much for, for this interview. Um, it, it, you know, uh, we're helping each other. You know what I yes. mean? Um, sure. You know, election night's usually really, really uh, great for me because I, I sit in front of the TV and I get to watch not only the mayoral races around the GTA, but also the ward races. Yeah. I'm, I, like I said in, at the top of the episode, I love municipal politics. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to do that for my computer this year because I'm going to be out of the country Um but I'll still be watching, and I wish you nothing but uh, luck on your campaign trail. And thank you again for, for this interview. Thank you.